welcome to episode number 151 of the Jackson Hole Connection. Recording right here in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, which is reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Avoid using those burdensome single-use products like the little plastic bags, and remember to bring your reusable bags whenever you go shopping. Also sponsoring today's episode comes from the Deli at Jackson Hole Marketplace. We're using the freshest ingredients, daily fresh baked bread, boar's head meats, and Cy Ginsburg meats to build the biggest and best sandwiches around. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. The reason I do this podcast each week is to connect people and to share people's stories because we all have stories. Yesterday, I received a call from my guest, Moosey, or Jeanette Woodling, who was the guest for my 100th episode. A friend of hers from way back when, when she worked at Jenny Lake, wrote her a letter and said how nice it was to hear her on the podcast and wanted to come and visit because she hadn't seen Moosey in so many years. A story like that is why I like to do the Jackson Hole Connection and why I enjoy sharing all of these stories. So connect with people and learn more about each other. And remember, if you haven't connected with somebody in a while, just reach out to them. Just send them a letter and they'd love to hear from you. Today's guest is Pam Barlow. Pam is the founder and creative mind of Copper Dot Leather Goods, started and founded right here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Pam has been an important part of our community for over 30 years, raising a family, volunteering for organizations, working in an architecture firm, and driving our children safely to school. Only a few years ago, back in 2014, Pam decided to follow her vision to follow her heart. She wanted to be brave to start her own business from scratch. As Pam says, being an entrepreneur is a lonely business. But you know what? Pam prevailed. Pam listened to those naysayers out there, but what she really did is leaned in to those people who provided her encouragement by giving her feedback and continually buying her products. Today, Pam shares with us what it is like to be brave, what it's like to follow your dreams, and the reality of following your dreams, and most important, the rewards of following your dreams. Well, Pam, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. Delighted to see you and so excited to sit down and have a conversation with you. Well, thanks so much, Stefan. It's really, it's a privilege to be here. You're welcome. Pam, let's start off your episode, just like we start off all the episodes, in getting a background story of Pam Barlow and how are you connected to Jackson Hole? How long have you been here? I moved here 30 years ago um, in the fall of 2000, or no, sorry, the fall of 1991 after I graduated from architecture school at University of Michigan. And I packed up my little Volkswagen, jam-packed full of bicycles, skis, saddles, and a box of drafting equipment. Um, because back then, I was drafting by hand. Okay. 
Um, so my box had triangles and scales and pens and pencils. But you can tell by the contents of my car, I was also planning on recreating. And, um, but I needed to get a career track job after I graduated. And I thought, well, what better place to get a career track job than in a ski town? And um, at that time, Detroit was kind of going through a recession and there weren't many architecture jobs. So I thought, well, this is my time to go live in the mountains and ski and get my yayas out. And I have not left <laughs> 30 years later still here so and what have you been doing over the past 30 years <laughs> yeah well it's like kind of you know reinventing myself uh several times a decade it seems like i've done over the past 30 years because i've done a lot of different things uh, including raising a family and all kinds of ancillary jobs that um young mothers in in the in Jackson Hole find themselves doing like coaching, skiing, barrel racing lessons, training horses, driving school bus, landscaping and among other things, you know, my latest venture which is Copper Dot Leather Goods, which I started in full time in 2017. But I did come here as an intern architect and and um realized that maybe the practice of architecture is very different than the academic side of architecture. And there were, I was interested in so many other things that the Valley had to offer too. So I was, I didn't, I didn't get my license. I didn't go back to school. So you never, I, I never left. You never got into the world of architecture. I was an intern architect for two intern. years. Okay. Yeah. And my first husband was my boss, my architect uh-huh. or my, the architect in the family. Mm-hmm. So it was good for the family to have only one architect in the family. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. The dual architect thing is, you know, professionals is challenging enough. So, but um, no, I mean, I hit Jackson and you know took the bull by the horns and just got you know knee deep in everything. Were you involved in horses before you moved out here? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I grew up, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to ride my whole life, and um, I competed in hunter-jumpers and eventing in Michigan and uh, upstate New York and Vermont, and um, it was, you know, I loved it. It was something that, um, at one point, I, you know, just dreamed of being an Olympic, you know, equestrian, so, yeah, it was my passion growing up as well as skiing and and other you know there are other things I love to do but but really horses and riding were my my big thing cool and you drove school bus you said yeah yeah I drove school bus all right county school district how long did you do that six years yeah those are early mornings yeah they are and um, dark dark and uh but you know the I I loved it I love the kids um, I was a substitute. I drove all routes, so from Buffalo Valley all the way down to Red Top Meadows or Camp Davis and Hoback. I would do all the routes and see a lot of kids, all ages, all the nooks and crannies of Jackson. I drove the bus into, and uh, I just I loved it. I thought it was just one of the best jobs I've ever had. Yeah. 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 That's tough work. Because you're keeping track of the kids. I've done a few ride-alongs on the school bus. And uh, you laugh because you know why I had to do some ride-alongs. I do. I know. You don't do yeah. that voluntarily. No, you don't. Uh, 
And you see what the school bus drivers are paying attention to and where their focus is. And it is a lot. It is. Yeah, you have to talk about multitasking. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have your radar all the way, 360 degrees around the bus, mm-hmm. all other drivers, and then zooming in to the kid right behind you, to the kid in the back of the bus. Mm-hmm. And you can't always see them because it's in the shadows and they're under the seats and they're crawling under the, you know, crawling along under the seats, uh-huh. you know, going a few rows up. And, yeah. you know, they're, but, you know, I, I would see the kids, I'd look at them, they're like puppies. You know, there's one sitting there passed out, you know, leaning up against the window and drooling. There's a kid, you know, scratching it, you know, one gnawing on another kid's ear. <laughs> another one peeing in the back. You oh, know? Man. It's like, and if I started to look at them that way, I, I just loved them. I enjoyed them. They're all so funny and unique and trying to navigate this great, big, scary world, you know. And here they are. They leave mom and dad at the curb and climb mm-hmm. up on the bus and a lot of them you know those steps are huge yes. and they're lugging their huge backpacks and they're like little baby turtles you know <laughs> and um yeah they're just they're adorable and then the older kids you know they you got to kind of meet them where they're at and mm-hmm. kind of adjust you know your your outlook to you know where they're at and mm-hmm. middle school's challenging high school's easy and breeze <laughs> But it is fun because I, I, I really enjoyed it for a number of reasons. My kids were in school at the same time. And so I, kind of, I really had my finger on the pulse of what was going on in the schools at all, the whole school district. Okay. And that was intriguing. And then, you know, I knew where the parties were and <laughs> who slept over at whose house and who had the sleepovers and who, who wasn't invited and who got kicked off what team and it was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great way to. All the other in. kids kept you informed better than your own kids. Oh, did. totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My kids were silent. <laughs> uh-huh. I think all kids are silent with their own parents. Yeah. yeah, that's what kids do. My guys, they knew eventually I would find out. So they mm-hmm. were pretty. You know, they might have been quiet for a little while, but eventually they would spill the beans. So let's talk about now copper dot leather. Yeah. You're running your own business. Where did this start? It all started with a question, what if? Uh-huh. You know, just, I had this vision of a bag that I needed to tote all my mom gear as an active Jackson Hole mom, a mountain mom, and in and out of the car, in and out of the horse trailer, school bus, wherever I was going, I needed a bag that would hold up as well as my tack my saddles and bridles and um, I couldn't find one in the marketplace so um, I had a vision of what I wanted and I went into the saddle shop and I saw a beautiful piece of navy blue pebble grain shop leather and it had the weight and the texture that would make the perfect leather bag and I drew up a little sketch I took it to Tammy at the saddle shop and I said can you make this bag for me and she's not in the bag business at all. And so she was a little reluctant, but she she was intrigued by it. So she went ahead and made it up. She made the body of the bag. And then I said, oh, now what am I going to do for straps? And I looked up on the wall of the saddle shop, and there's a beautiful pair of brand-new reins. And I grabbed the reins, and I cut them up. And the only way I knew how to affix them securely was with a copper rivet, a hand-hammered copper rivet, which is the strongest way to put two pieces of leather together. 
And um, I used copper rivets all the time, you know, repairing tack, reins, headstalls. And it was a quick and easy way to to fix leather and, a, and the tools are available in, in our tack room or around the barn. And so there I was in the saddle shop and we riveted on two straps and that was the first copper dot leather bag. Uh, that bag I ended up giving to my sister. Okay. And I think it was through the encouragement of my brother at the time. He said, wow, these are really great. You should, you should make some more of these. I was like, oh, gosh, I don't have a sewing machine. I don't know how to do this. But eventually a sewing machine appeared, a, uh, an industrial sewing machine appeared in my life for free. As long as I could get it out of the space it was and into my little tiny basement space at the time was um, it's where I had my workshop and it was in the basement of a 75-year-old log cabin in Wilson where I was living at the time with my family. So share with us what does a commercial sewing machine look like and how heavy is a commercial sewing machine? <laughs> oh, they're heavy. They're solid. They're made of iron. I believe okay. they're cast iron. And they have a motor. So there's a big arm and then a drive wheel and a motor underneath, a servo motor with a clutch. And it sits all sits on a pedal. And underneath is, is or it sits on a table, sorry. Mm-hmm. And underneath is, is the drive pedal. And this is not your mom's Berninia. No, no. This is no <laughs> hobby craft here. This is like, um, no. <laughs> so it usually takes, you know, two strong people to lift a, a sewing machine. And we wrestled it down these tiny little narrow stairs in, in into the basement of, of our house at the time. And That were probably dug in like 19... 19- 50. Oh, 1938, this 1930. house was built. Okay. I think it's one of the <laughs> oldest homes still around in, in Wilson, anyway. It has a full basement. So, anyway, the um, I wrestled it down there, and, and it took a while. Sewing leather is not like sewing canvas or other, you know, heavy materials. Leather is organic. It has a lot of different textures, all in one kind of organic shape. The hides are never uniform. They're rarely, even though they're gauged for thickness, you know, like when you go p- pick up a, pl- um, a two by four, it's all kind of nominal dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a two by four, there are, you know, a lot of different characteristics in the leather. Like you'd have knots and, and different grain in a two by four. We've got scars and different textures in the leather in a hide which change kind of inch by inch. And so your sewing tension changes hmm. all the time. And it's it's a tricky material to sew. And it's not forgiving. Of course, if a needle pierces the leather, <laughs> you've got a hole there mm-hmm. that doesn't go away. Um, you can't just rip out a seam and, and restitch like you can with fabric. So if you make a mistake, it's an expensive one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you make any of those in the beginning? Oh, yeah, tons, yeah. Yeah, and I stitched over my finger, and I've, you know, done all kinds of, (laughs) can't tell you how many times I've actually hammered my thumb, too. So, you know, it's a learning process, and it was intriguing. And when I was learning, a lot of what I did was just really watch other people, other saddle makers, other leather crafters, and ask 
couple questions, you know, key questions, but really I just kind of watched and learned. I did have a background in sewing. As a kid, I took sewing class in middle school. So I kind of knew my way around a sewing machine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is a whole different animal. Yeah. So. How cool. I mean, to just start doing something like that. And now you're creating and designing how many different products do you have? I have um, 13 different styleways. Okay. And um, various different colorways. So we have about 48 different SKUs right now. We come out with special collections. And I say we because I, I do have a team and I couldn't do any of this without them. But uh, yeah, you know, and I've made, oh gosh, I've lo- I used to count and I, I quit counting after 1,500 bags. And so I'm in the 4,000 bags at this point. All handmade. Yeah. So this is not a big factory. A mono. Yeah. 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 And how big is your team now from when you first started? Well, so I have, I've had to outsource some of my labor. The strap goods uh, are very labor intensive because I have a certain quality of leather. And it's What's a, a strap good? Oh, the strap goods are like the shoulder straps. Okay. On my bags, they're a, a kind of cognac color leather. Mm-hmm. And it's made out of a bridal leather, the, ni- the highest grade bridal leather I can get in the United States. And it comes from the oldest tannery in the United States in Pennsylvania called Wicket and Craig. And they produce just this beautiful leather that has been impregnated with oils and waxes during the tanning process that allow it to break in very quickly and give you that very luxurious but durable leather feel of really nice bridles and reins and when I was making my first bag you know that I grabbed the reins off the wall at the saddle shop and I said this is what I want in my hand when I carry my bags Mm -hmm. I'm used to reins in my hands and I want my bag to feel like you know my reins so so it was just kind of logical that I would get bridal leather Mm -hmm. (laughs) to hold my bags together so anyway the uh the bridal leather is yeah I used to cut every piece and finish it. And the finishing uh, consists of beveling the edges, which is kind of rounding them slightly, and then burnishing the edges, which is a way to polish the edge of leather and give it a really nice, sleek finish. Mm -hmm. And I used to do that all by hand in the shop, and it would take me as long to do that as it would to make a bag. And uh, I don't have the, the big equipment. So I finally found a family in Ohio, an Amish family, and they're the same family in community that make the Budweiser Clydesdale harnesses hmm. and so thought, these guys understand exactly what I'm getting after and so they've been making all of my strap and my bridal pe- bridal leather pieces for about five years now. Glad you were able to find somebody to outsource yeah, that. Yeah so that's one end of the team mm-hmm. and then I have multiple team, lem- team members, um, workers here in Jackson and that come to my studio and we do different parts of the assembly process uh, right in, in here in Jackson, as well as cutting and making all the bags. Is it still in your basement? It is. No, I moved from my basement to my garage. Cool. <laughs> Moving on up. Moving on up. Yeah, just like the yes, Jeffersons. Exactly. Oh, gosh, when I could walk upstairs to, uh, you know, get out of the basement, that was now in the garage. Yeah, I really felt like I had arrived. But, yeah, the uh, 
So yeah, I have training different workers to do the the tasks takes a little bit of time and skill. Certainly sewing, cutting, measuring, patterning, all of that is is a much higher skill that is, is a little harder to find people to do that here in Jackson. So because you want consistency. Yeah, and also cutting leather mm-hmm. is 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 really challenging. So somebody who has experience and and, and can knows how to cut leather, knows how to look at, um, we do a lot of, all of our prototypes right here. And Mm -hmm. so prototyping and and patterning, once we get a prototype that we like, then we have to build that pattern and make sure that it's duplicate, you can duplicate it, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. And during this process, so you started this back and you went full time in 2017. Right. But you created your first bag. When was that? Um, it was 2014. Okay. Or no, no, no. Sorry, it was. I think it was 2011, and I got the sewing machine in 2014, and I had my first trunk show. Uh, I think in the September of 2014, and I made 17 bags <laughs> that summer, between loads of laundry and mm-hmm. you know hauling the kids to camp and carpool and all that stuff sleepovers and it was a big deal my hands were all blistered and <laughs> but happily I those bags sold out within a matter of days at the the trunk show here in town and that's when I realized okay maybe maybe there's something here so maybe these these bags are um, useful to people mm-hmm. and, and desirable and when did you and I meet up and go through the startup intensive together? That was fall of 2016. Okay. And um, I was still making every bag one by one. And I think I was also doing all the the strap goods myself. So, you know, each bag was pretty labor intensive, but I knew I needed to figure out a way to scale and produce these bags, um, you know, in volume. And that was a real, that was my biggest challenge mm-hmm. after the startup intensive. And once I kind of got that, those pieces in place and started to see that I could scale this, that's when I said, okay, I'm doing this full time. And this is, this is mom's job now. <laughs> this is my, mm-hmm. this is what I do. Phenomenal journey. Think about, well, 2011, you make your first one Yeah. to when you got the sewing machine in 2014 and then you take a leap of faith in 2016 and say, okay, I can figure this out. I know I need what I need. It's just going through the process to committing, taking that leap of faith in 2017 to go full time with it. Yeah. Was there ever a time that you said, I can't do this? Every day. Yeah. Every day? Until very recently, I have gone through. Yeah. It has been absolutely the hardest challenge of my life, running a business, starting out on my own with a just a vision, not with a business plan, but just a what if I made a bag? I really need a bag to serve my needs and then developing that into, oh, other people like this. Maybe I can make some more. And then finding, finding out what it is that really drives me. Why do I do this? You know, why do I... So over your hands. Yeah. Why the blisters? <laughs> why do I pull my hair out when right. I can't? Why, when the supply chain is falling through <laughs> oh, the <gosh>. floor? <laughs> um, you know, supply chain Eat issues, and now, yeah, exactly. 
yeah, you know, that it's it's a it's a huge personal challenge. It's you you know, becoming an entrepreneur is it's a lonely business because every decision uh, is you're the only one that's gonna be waking up sweating out decisions and issues at three AM. Nobody else is really gonna care as much as, as you are for your own business. And it's a very it's kind of a lonely place to be. And um when you got, you know, thousands of decisions to make all day long and you're you're saturated with them. And the fear of the outcome of a bad decision is, you know, kind of always there. Mm-hmm. And whose fault is it? Nobody but mine. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge load to carry. And figuring out how to carry that load and maintain some sense of self-worth and value and pride is is really challenging. And I don't mean pride in, in the arrogant sense. I mean just taking care of, of you know, yourself and your, your um, finding some sense of pride in what, what you do on a daily basis because it's there are a lot of naysayers out there. And to be able to go, you know what, there's a big scary world out there, but I can look and see that I produce something with my two hands that serves somebody else and improves their life a little bit. It's all that matters. So keeping an eye on that ball is very difficult. It's a little elusive ball. So I would say it's not hard running a business itself. It's it's hard keeping keeping sane and running a business. <laughs> and you add on top of that, yeah. you know, motherhood, becoming an empty nester, I'm over 50. <laughs> menopause back surgery divorce kids leaving town building a business why not let's have a startup yeah <laughs> let's get in over our heads and debt and all these scary things <laughs> i mean you just described bravery uh, it's that's you're you're very brave is it bravery or is it stupidity is it blindness you know well, you can like, take, go any angle at it that yeah, you want yeah but I'm going to say you're very brave. <laughs> well, thank you. Very thanks, brave. Thanks. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing journey. And it's more about what's, you know, kind of between the ears here mm-hmm. and, and between the, you know, belly mm-hmm. button and this, the brain <laughs> um, than anything. Pam, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. And we're going to come back to this fabulous conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling wants to remind you to use those reusable bags which are in your car because you leave them in there. Remember, whenever you go shopping at your favorite store around town or the grocery store to bring those reusable bags. We want to reduce the number of single-use products that we put into our waste stream. So remember to wash those reusable bags and reduce the number of single-use products that you need. So please call 733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operation and important information of how you can reduce, reuse, recycle, and even compost. Additional support for this episode comes from the Vault of Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole's only climate-controlled wine storage facility. If you're ready to build your wine collection, start today for the future. Call 307-248-6392 to build your collection today. 
Welcome back, Pam. Um, we just had a little break, but before the break, we were talking about the how brave you are, and it, it depends on, like you said, there's many naysayers out there. Yeah. It just depends on who you're going to listen to, and are you going to say that you're brave or you're crazy? Um, I mean, you have accomplished so much. You've raised children. You're on your own. You went through a divorce. I'm remarried now. Remarried. Can, <laughs> yes, thank congratulations. You. Thank you. So happy yeah. for you. Yeah, oh, I look forward to hearing more. <laughs> Started a business. You did so much to be involved in your children's lives yeah. while doing this business, by creating, building this business. And you said every day you wanted to stop, but you didn't. No. You kept moving on. You had debt. Yeah. I mean, you had to buy materials. You were making mistakes on materials. Some people would buy them. Some people wouldn't buy your stuff. Why? Where did the Where did it come from to say, I'm going to keep going? Well, I'll start with the naysayers and what they told me to do. And one is, Pam, you're divorced. Go get a secure job with benefits and get some security in your life. Um. <laughs> in Jackson, it was like, what is that? What am I qualified to do? So the negative was, oh my gosh, I'm 50 something. I'm, I'm not worth anything in the marketplace. What do I have to offer? Mm. Okay, so that was one bad audience of voices, you, you know, mm-hmm. chatting at me. Um, the other was, who, you know, who, who do you think you are running a business? You've never started a business. You didn't set out with a, um, a really concrete plan. You just set out with this dream of creating a bag for yourself. So who do you think you are? You don't have any business experience. That's another, you know, pile of voices that I had to just go put my hand up literally and go, no, no. I think the hardest thing was learning what that voice was and allowing that voice to come out, you know, and say no to all those voices and it was hard for me to hear that voice. I got a lot of it through encourage external encouragement when I was I'd be feeling really low and I'd be ready to to pack it all in and you know sell out inventory, sell everything out and just go, you know, get out of here kind of thing. But I'd have a customer come in and she'd say, "Oh my god, I I can't tell you how much my mom loves her bag. I need to buy one now for my sister." I'd have somebody came in recently and said, I was at the, I was, I was going around town recently and I saw about four of your bags this morning while I was doing my errands on four different people. Somebody would say, oh, I was in the Atlanta airport and I saw a copper dot bag. And I went up to the woman and I said, is that a copper dot bag? You must've been in Jackson. (laughs) You know, that, that's just fantastic. You know, when I hear from people how much I've, I've, impacted their life or given them a little bit of joy that's what keeps it going for me and yeah that's where I can just say well I would never have gotten here if I had packed it in I would never have arrived at this space where I am right now mentally spiritually even physically if I hadn't taken the chance and kind of let go of the edge of the pool, so to speak, and tried to swim on my own. And, you know, I do different things in my life to challenge that as well as run the business. And I had a, an experience recently in May 
where I really came nose to nose with quitting, uh, not on Copperdog, but quitting another endeavor, another challenge. And um, I was uh, windsurfing in Maui with my husband. And I've been working at learning how to windsurf over the past five years now. And it's a really challenging sport for me. And uh, I was battling wind and waves. The wind's blowing 30 miles an hour. It's Hawaiian surf. It's, it's waves, big waves. The wind is so powerful. If you happen to not be ready for a gust, you go right over the handlebars really hard, like going right over the handlebars on a mountain bike and you put your arms out in front of you mm. and it hurts mm-hmm. i mean people wear helmets windsurfing because you get hurt okay <laughs> and life jackets okay so i've been um i've gone over the handlebars a lot and it's not fun when you you know you come up out of the water and and you know poke your head up and there's just another wave that's going to drench you and drown you and the wind's howling and you're trying to wrestle this sail that just gets caught by the wind and whipped out of your hands and and it's it's a battle and i i've often equated learning the, to windsurf like battling the kraken from pirates in the caribbean mm-hmm and um, every time I go out on the water, I don't see beautiful Hawaiian, you know, turquoise waters. I see, like, the Kraken tentacles <laughs> ready to come out and swallow me. There's, you know, coral in the water. There's sharks. There's you name it, you know, scary things under there. And, and if I have to fall in, that's terrifying to me. Um, getting whipped in the wind hurts and falling hurts. And um, after getting pounded on for about four days in a row. I just was, I was, I had it. I was in tears, lying on the sail, on the board out, you know, Mm. hundreds of yards out from the beach, just lying there in tears. Just like, I cannot do this. This is just, this is ridiculous. Um, Why am I doing this? Why am I beating myself up like this? Why am I taking on this challenge? I don't need any more challenges. Life is hard enough as it is. Take it easy on yourself, Pam. Go do some self-care. Go back to the beach, go to a spa, go, you know, mm-hmm. sit by a pool, relax. You're in Maui, for God's sake. Um, you're not supposed to go through uh, all this hardship uh, on your vacation and have to, you know, take a vacation from a vacation when you get home. Anyway, while I was recovering on the beach after one fall, I was also reading uh, a book by Edith Eager. Dr. Edith Eager is a Holocaust survivor and wrote. Uh, a biography called The Choice, and uh, she's still alive to this day and um, has just an incredible life story. And um, basically, her message and her story was was we carry the keys to happiness in our own pocket. And I kind of derived further from that. It was like, uh, all right, we carry the keys to our own happiness and satisfaction in our pocket. Well, put your hand in your pocket and pull out those keys and use them. I think I've gone through a lot life knowing we carry the keys in our pocket, but I never knew how to pull the keys out and actually activate them. Hmm. So while I was recovering from windsurfing, uh, falls and crashes, I realized, well, why am I out there windsurfing and taking on this challenge anyway? And I realized every time I go out there windsurfing, I learn something. One, I learn something about windsurfing. I learn a new skill that I can use the next time and try to perfect. And two, I always learn something about myself and what my limits are. 
And when I realized that, I was like, that's it. I'm never going to quit this sport. And no matter how bashed and banged up and scraped up I get, I'm going to get back out there and look for those two things. One, what, what little skill can I learn here and use again tomorrow and improve upon? And what can I learn about myself? And that was, a, that was pretty pivotal. And I came back to Jackson and kind of looked at my business and it's like, okay, we're, we're going. We're going to keep going and keep going here for this journey. And it's not easy. It's really hard. And I'm going to go over the handlebars. But I'm also going to learn something. So. Well said. <laughs> Very moving. And thank you for sharing that emotional uh, experience and story. I, yeah. It's We can all learn from each other so yeah. much. Yeah. And we all have our stories to, to share. And it's important that we share our own stories, but also sh- share the stories of others. And now with Copper Dot, what's, what's the future look like? Well, um, I'm expanding, and um, I, um, I just signed a lease on a commercial space in a historic building in downtown Hood River, Oregon, and I'm really excited to be opening up kind of the House of Copper Dot in a new, new venue, and also in a slightly new way. The, the front of the house will be showroom and retail space, and the back three-quarters of the space will be workshop. And it's, it's, you know, kind of the concept of, um, of having a, a, a showroom workshop where people can, you know, they come in and see the bags being made, and then they also can, you know, purchase there as well. Um, fortunately, Hood River has a, a really vital downtown in a historic downtown, and there's a lot of kind of makers on Main mm-hmm. in the area with sort of similar concept in terms of their, their commercial space downtown so I feel like it's a great community um, to be a part of and setting up kind of a similar business model there and uh, so I'm spreading my wings exciting yeah congratulations yeah yeah and what what about here in Jackson are are your bags found in stores here or just yeah yeah so bellicose has carried my bags for a number of years in all of their different venues Mm -hmm. um, which i think they're now up to i think seven different stores between vero beach and um and jackson hole the four seasons and then there there are four or five shops on the town square um tara uh and nest on the west bank carry the bags here in in the valley and then the workshop my workshop space um, people come to visit all the time and and pick out product and you know it's kind of like they're walking into the kitchen while the chef mm-hmm. is cooking so they can kind of see all the secret ingredients and smell the leather yeah yeah that's the first thing everybody smells and or says when they walk into my workshop they go oh my gosh that smell and I look at them and I'm like well what's the smell and it's not that I don't I have COVID it's that I'm nose blind to the smell of leather mm-hmm. I can't smell it really yeah like I really have to stick my nose because in because you've been around it so much yeah yeah Interesting. <laughs> it's like coffee roasters probably uh-huh. don't smell coffee the burning coffee <laughs> Burning of the beans, which yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. No, if I go away for a while, you know, uh-huh. and, and come back into my shop, then I smell it. But you know, I, I I miss out on that great intoxicating wave of oh, great leather. So 
And are you going to move the production to Hood River? We'll we'll do both. Okay. For now, yeah, baby steps. But um, one of the challenges is is you know ramping up and and but I'm I'm also trying to keep production very under control, tight on the U.S. soil um, mm-hmm. is really key. So I source all of my materials on U.S. soil. It's a handmade U.S. made product, and I believe strongly in that. So, um, and I also believe in the connection that customers have with the maker. I think that's what sets Carbidata apart from many other leather bag companies out there. So all the the materials that goes into this is all U.S. made. Yep. The zipper, the rivening. Yep. The thread, which goes into the sewing. Yep. Is it thread? Yes, it okay. is. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's fabulous. It's a nylon thread. Zippers are made in L.A., custom made for me. They're beautiful zippers. Thank, Thank you, you for the yeah. for the bag. Yeah. You gave yeah, me, this, gave me yeah. a little bag. That's the crescent bag. And, I mean, the zipper's so shiny. That's, like, <laughs> one of the first things that you notice. You can just feel and smell the quality. And you can tell the passion that you have put into this. I, um, I think my passion is more for the... Yes, the quality of, of the materials. Um, one of my favorite quotes or keeps me, you know, keeps me centered is a quote from a, an Italian chef. And he says, when you start with beautiful ingredients, mm-hmm. the outcome is perfection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you, you, you source the best quality you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Don't meddle too much with it. You know, like I don't have a lot of bells and whistles in my designs. They're very simple, and I believe in the elegance of simplicity. Mm-hmm. I also believe that when designs are simple and basic enough, they can adapt to any lifestyle and, and any any function much easier than if you prescribe pre-prescribed you know zippers and pockets and fasteners. Then you're you're limiting yourself and you're limiting the possibilities. Mm-hmm. But I love you know just really beautiful quality whatever it is and just allowing it to be in its essence and you know be available and leather is one of those things where you can you know it anybody can tell the difference in quality of leather you don't have to be educated or a connoisseur you you can you you touch it you smell it and and you see it and it's it's a sensual thing, and your senses tell you right away, quality or not. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm agreed <laughs> with when it comes to a lot, a lot of things. Yeah, agreed yeah. On that. So, if people wanted to connect with you, Pam, what's the best way for them to to find Copper Dot Leather and Pam Barlow? So, Copper Dot Leather, all spelled out, dot com, mm-hmm. is my website. And they can email me at pam at copper.leather, all spelled out, dot com. And what if they wanted to see images of these magnificent? Uh, My Instagram handle is the same. So Instagram um, and Facebook, Mm -hmm. my website, lots of of imagery on on social media. I I also have an ad quite regularly in Big Life magazine. It's a nice big full-page spread. Okay. Every issue. So that's, yeah, that's where, where, where they, where you can be found, where I can be found. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your expansion to Thank Hood River. Thank you so much. Yeah. But also to, you just sticking with it. 
that tenacity and not giving up and not listening to the naysayers. I guess using the naysayers to fuel you to continue on. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, kind of, um, it's exactly, you know, there are times where when I said, you know, yeah, I think about it every day mm-hmm. and, and some days at times, lots of times a day mm-hmm. <laughs> where I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I just cannot go any further. And I guess the biggest thing is I am so grateful for those people right when I'm ready to just, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, someone would come in or there'd be a return of some sort and appreciation for what I've done mm-hmm. that just melts me. And it's like, okay, I got to keep going. Or some just amazing lesson that I've just, you know, a light bulb will go off that keeps me going. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thrilled. Want, that wanting you, more. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm thrilled that you are, you keep going and you're still windsurfing or you still will be windsurfing. And yeah, yeah. You're not yeah. giving up on, nope. on any of those. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not, damn it. That's right. Well, Pam, no. thank you so much for coming and sharing your inspiring story. Yeah. And I hope everybody listening understands what goes into quality product. Yeah. Um, you pay for quality, but you receive something in return which you can expect to hold up and um, have a lot of value for you. Yeah. And and that is what you're making. Yeah. And and this is not just something coming off of an assembly line. It's the passion that you're creating, and they're beautiful, and it's reliable. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that connection, too. You know, there's ages ago somebody said, oh, Pam, your bags have soul. And I think it's mm. because they're handmade. And, you, you know, they're, they're, it is. It's my hands to yours. Mm-hmm. It's um, my hands been all over that bag. And, and now you get to, you know, yeah, put your hands all over the bag <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and use it, you know. Yes. you know, and, and, and I think that's ultimately is I, I really want to know these bags are useful to somebody. Mm-hmm. They're, they're inspiring to look at because they're beautiful and they're useful. I love it. Pam, keep on making great bags. Thanks. And um, we'll see you soon. All Thank right. You. Thank you so much. You got it. It's been a pleasure. To learn more about Pam Barlow and Copper Dot Leather Goods, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 151. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate all the feedback. Get out there and share this episode. Get on a Facebook and share some comments and feedback with us. Many thanks to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, and to Michael Morey, my editor and marketing director. I look forward to seeing you back next week for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.